December 8th, Jude, verses 1 through 25. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who are called to live in the love of God the Father and the care of Jesus Christ. May you receive more and more of God's mercy, peace, and love. Dearly loved friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the truth of the good news. God gave this unchanging truth once for all time to His holy people. I say this because some godless people have wormed their way in among you, saying that God's forgiveness allows us to live immoral lives. The fate of such people was determined long ago, for they have turned against our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I must remind you, and you know it well, that even though the Lord rescued the whole nation of Israel from Egypt, He later destroyed every one of those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels, who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the day of judgment. And don't forget the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with sexual immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and are a warning of the eternal fire that will punish all who are evil. Yet these false teachers, who claim authority from their dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at the power of the glorious ones. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse Satan of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with Satan about Moses' body. But these people mock and curse the things they do not understand. Like animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and they bring about their own destruction. How terrible it will be for them! For they follow the evil example of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they will do anything for money. And like Korah, they will perish because of their rebellion. When these people join you in fellowship meals celebrating the love of the Lord, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are shameless in the way they care only about themselves. They are like clouds blowing over dry land without giving rain, promising much but producing nothing. They are like trees without fruit at harvest time. They are not only dead, but doubly dead, for they have been pulled out by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the dirty foam of their shameful deeds. They are wandering stars, heading for everlasting gloom and darkness. Now Enoch, who lived seven generations after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, Look, the Lord is coming with thousands of His holy ones. He will bring the people of the world to judgment. He will convict the ungodly of all the evil things they have done in rebellion and of all the insults that godless sinners have spoken against Him. 
These people are grumblers and complainers, doing whatever evil they feel like. They are loud-mouthed braggarts, and they flatter others to get favors in return. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ told you, that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to enjoy themselves in every evil way imaginable. Now they are here, and they are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They live by natural instinct, because they do not have God's Spirit living in them. But you, dear friends, must continue to build your lives on the foundation of your holy faith, and continue to pray as you are directed by the Holy Spirit. Live in such a way that God's love can bless you as you wait for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ in His mercy is going to give you. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, but be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins. And now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling, and who will bring you into His glorious presence, innocent of sin, and with great joy. All glory to Him, who alone is God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, glory, majesty, power, and authority belong to Him, in the beginning, now, and forevermore. Amen. So I was hanging around with a group of Christians the other day and someone did the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. And what I mean by that is someone swore, someone said a bad word. Now, when they did that, what do you think happened? Everyone in the group looked at them and said, bro, you can't do that. You're not allowed to swear. You're a Christian. And I remember thinking, you know, okay, amen. We want to represent Jesus well in our speech and in our life. But I started thinking, how come I've never heard someone have that response when it comes to bigger issues that Jesus addresses way more, like taking care of the sick, taking care of the lame, taking care of the poor or the widow or the orphan. I've never seen someone walk by a homeless person on the street or someone neglect the single mother next door who's struggling to pay rent and buy groceries and say, hey man, you can't do that. You can't just walk by that person. You can't just not help that person. You're a Christian, you're not allowed to do that. And I remember thinking, isn't that exactly what Jesus addresses in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you hypocrites, for you tithe your dill, your cumin, and you tithe your spices, but you neglect weightier matters of the law, like love, like justice, like mercy, like faithfulness. He says, go ahead and talk about and address those issues, but not at the expense of the bigger ones. He goes, doing that is like being blind guides straining out a gnat while swallowing a camel. And I remember just reading that passage and trembling and saying, you know, sure, we can say he's talking about people then, talking about people 2,000 years ago, but what if he's talking about us? What if he's talking about us who concentrate more on our external, little Christian moral behavior rather than taking care of the orphans, taking care of the widow, helping out the ones who need it because we've been eternally helped out in Jesus. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus goes so far to say that we'll actually be eternally judged based upon whether we take care of the ones who are sick, whether we clothe the naked and we feed the hungry. And then even he says, 
When you do that, you're doing it to me. And so if you don't do it, that's like neglecting me. Now, of course, we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works, but our works should show themselves in the fact that we believe in grace and we have faith. I mean, it doesn't say that he's going to give us a doctrinal test. It doesn't say that he's going to ask us how many verses we've memorized. It literally says he's going to judge us eternally based upon whether we've neglected or not the weightier matters of the law. Now, this issue deeply resonates with me because I was raised with a single mom. We were poor, we struggled, we were on government housing, we used food stamps for our groceries. And I remember being in a Christian middle school for about a year and a half and being sent to the principal's office for typical behavioral issues, you know, like writing on the desk, maybe saying a bad word, maybe making fun of someone. And let me say that is okay and we should concern ourselves with those things. But I just remember thinking again when I read Matthew 23, how come I never got sent to the principal's office and the principal sat me down and said, hey Jeff, we want to help you out. As a Christian school, we want to represent Jesus and how we take care of our brothers and sisters, how we take care of those around us. And so how about we use some of your tuition money and you guys can use that for groceries. How about we use some of the tithe money that the church gets and we use that for your guys' rent. How about we help as much as we can and we sacrifice what we have for you. Not once did I hear that. And that's when it hit me that we play this game of neglecting the bigger issues because usually it shows we don't really believe the gospel. We really don't trust in the gospel. We don't understand that Jesus came, sacrificed, pursued, and died on the cross for us. He loved us when we were sick. He loved us when we were lame. He loved us when we were broken. And here's the thing, I'm not just trying to guilt trip you and say, and hey, help people out more. What I'm trying to say is, the fact that we don't, can we let that expose the fact that we really don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Because when you understand that everything has been freely given to you by an eternally loving and gracious God, then you want to turn around and freely give everything you have to others. So when you watch this video, you can do two things. One, you can watch it, turn it off, and go back to your boring Christian life that has no joy, where you read your Bible and you hate it. You pray to Jesus even though you don't want to and you white knuckle all your behavior so people think you're a good moral person. Or two, you can understand that the gospel is so beautiful and so potent you can let it penetrate you so then you will love God and love others not because you think you have to but because you understand Jesus loves you so much that you want to do that back to others. And so my last question to you is when you die, when your legacy is left on that piece of cement, what do you want it to say? Do you want it to say that this person was a good, moral human to society who was most known for letting everyone know that secular music is of the devil and you can't have tattoos? Or do you want that tombstone to say his life was messy, it was hard, but he spent his entire life loving God, loving others, and serving people? Because here's the truth. If Jesus fully emptied himself for you, what's keeping you from emptying yourself for others?